Chapter Six of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avahi in August two thousand twenty one. Chapter Six. On the day following the dance, Cora went about with a teasing mystery in her eyes, her smile. She was fondling some secret, as a woman will, dangling it in every gesture laughing at it through lowered eyelashes caressing it with every tone of her voice the curve of her lovely lips the twinkling of her dimples spoke of a secret she could tell if she would but she wouldn't she showed that she wished all beholders to know that she was concealing something but she meant to keep on concealing it on sunday morning as she was dusting the front room Beverly laid an admiring arm about her shoulder. "'You're looking mighty pretty and set up over something today and yesterday. What is it?' But she gave him only a quick, possessive kiss, a flick of the dust-cloth and a toss of her lustrous head. "'Never you mind. You just don't trash up this room any more than you can help today. It's Sunday, you know.' "'We have a Sunday every week.' But she danced away from him in silence, the very crinkles in her shining hair suggestive of mystery. To the children, she said, You got to take a bath all round before this evening. We're going to have the big meal at night, instead of in the middle of the day today. Why? they chorused. But they got no illuminating reply. Cora was not versed in subtleties of dissimulation, having scarcely ever had, in her forthright existence, an emotion she had felt inclined to hide. She was as naively transparent as a glass of water. Letty knew that soon the explanation would appear, and so she tried to wait in patience. She wondered what was in the air, but she would not ask. Maybe Cora wanted her to tease with the others, but she kept a silence that may have been discreet, or may have been only stubborn. But at any rate, she felt lighter of heart because she noticed that Cora was in high good humor over something, for a cowboy ballad sounded from the kitchen during her bustlings about in there. She was indulgent with the children's protests over being bathed, even while she soaped them firmly, and she even persuaded Letty to lie down in the afternoon for a nap, so's to look pretty when the company comes, she said. Letty, kindling a little with the excitement she felt, but did not understand, took special pains with her toilet as she dressed in the afternoon. She brushed her yellow hair until it was stingingly alive, and shone like a nimbus about her head when she had arranged it. She put on a little girlish dress of a dull sort bluish-green that made her eyes look bluer and brought out the fairness of her skin. She decided that she was too pale, after a critical examination of her reflection in the leprous mirror over the dresser, so she plucked a pink petal from a flower on Alice's summer hat and gave herself a little color. She blushed in guilt as she did so, and looked fearfully around at every sound. The knowledge that she had painted her face 
gave her a sense of high intoxicating excitement that of itself imparted to her cheeks the most charming colour imaginable who could be coming that day and why was cora so pleased over the prospect it was hard for her and the children to wait until the middle of the afternoon to find out anything but cora was inexorable in her refusal to divulge her secret when about three o'clock she heard the sound of galloping horses letty ran to the window and peeped out in palpitating suspense to see who the visitors were but she jerked her palms outward with a gesture of disappointment as she saw who is it asked cora with a crafty smile cora who usually ran first to the window or the door to discover an arriving visitor and greet them just light and sourdough cried letty a slight frown creasing her forehead and her red mouth in a moo of disappointment huh letty was never sure of all that cora's huh conveyed it usually expressed contempt for ignorance and disapproval and mirth not always tactful but she could not be positive about what else it might hold letty tried to analyze it now while the riders dismounted and came in but she was unable to decide all its nuances and suggestions sourdough entered with a swaggering slink and with gusty greetings that filled the room so that lige had scant chance to say a word but his slow awkward smile told letty that he was glad to be there sourdough was full of ebullient spirits prancing about the room with his hands flouncing the tails of his store coat his red hair looked excited and the very freckles on his face were fidgety he was nervous enough for four people letty said to herself lige smiled his slow wide smile as he watched his partner the talk was brisk and jovial for the most part about the dance which had gone down in county history as a distinct success such pessimistic topics as drought were pushed to the background of everybody's thoughts at last when it appeared that the children could not possibly wait any longer cora called them into the kitchen to supper sunday night supper was generally a cold handout from the safe or cupboard comprising the leftovers from dinner with not even the trouble of setting the table but to-night there was a white cloth cora had some of her peach preserves in a glass dish in the centre of the table and her supper was a festive affair letty was deep in speculation all during the meal no one had come besides lige and sourdough who came every sunday and so why the excitement of preparation and suspense no one else had been expected that was plain for cora could not have hidden her disappointment or annoyance if that had been the case supper was a gay meal with cora and sourdough more hilarious and amused than usual their sparkles and crackles of wit evoking smiles from lige and beth when the food had been consumed and sourdough leaned back with a vasty breath letty began as usual to help clear away the dishes but cora stopped her beth'll help me to-night you young folks go on sit in the front room by the fire and enjoy yourselves 
why this sudden self-effacement on cora's part but i'll help you first cora took her by the shoulders and gave her a playful push that propelled her toward the door the while she winked at sourdough scat out of here that worthy laughed strangely and bolted for the front room as letty and lige followed she heard cora call sharply to one of the children come here now you you young uns are going to bed in a pair of minutes then the kitchen door was closed what did it all mean the elaborate casualness with which cora had planned for letty to go with the two young men would have been embarrassing she told herself if there had been only one but there were two sourdough self-consciously stoked the stove pokered the coals with noisy vigour and then tiptoed over to close the door that led into the children's room lige shook with silent laughter skeer the draughts he jeered na ears sourdough stood with his back to the stove his feet wide apart his hands thrust under his coat at the back obviously struggling with some emotion but what letty puzzled over the queerness of the situation and lige sat with arms folded a knowing smile on his lips he knew all about it what's the joke asked letty unable longer to conceal her curiosity lige wiped a smile from his face though his eyes still twinkled but he said nothing damn you why can't you say something jerked sourdough instead of sitting there with a grin on your mouth like a catfish lige answered him with respectful gravity that was enough of itself to arouse suspicion in the mind of any one who knew the relations between the two you have the floor this plan was yours remember old scout i'll speak up when my time comes i've got my little piece prepared sourdough swallowed vehemently the room throbbed with silence letty sat on a footstool the glow from the open door of the stove shining on her yellow hair her hands clasped about her knees as she looked up at him expectantly he gazed down at her and his eyes softened though his hands still twitched nervously at his coat-tails he began as if he were rehearsing a prepared speech. "'I maybe can't say it as it ought to be said. I got to pick my words like a fella picks his steps when he's walking barefoot through a bed of prickly pear.' He paused, unable to proceed. "'Yes?' she said. "'What is it, sourdough? I'm wild to know. Don't tease me so.' he gulped and began again generally i reckon a girl knows when men is in love with her maybe she knows it afore they do maybe sometimes by just knowing it she makes it come to pass when it wouldn't a been so otherwise i can't say but you now you're such a little girl and so young maybe perhaps you don't know his voice rose in interrogative her blue eyes widened and their look of surprise gave him his answer 
You see, Miss Letty, Lige and me are both in love with you. No, don't say nothing, he interposed, as she made an inarticulate sound of denial. It ain't your turn to talk yet. Take my word of it, it's so. Now, Lige and me have been side partners for a long time, and we didn't want to do nothing that wasn't square to each other. I said to him, if I asked you first, maybe it wouldn't be totin' fair with him. And if he asked you first, maybe I wouldn't have no more chance than a hoot owl in hell. So I made the proposition to him that if we talked to you together and told you to take your pick, that way there couldn't be no hard feelings. He wiped his forehead as one who has paused in a prodigious physical exertion. Letty gave a little hysterical giggle. <laughs> Do you usually propose in a duet like this? He glared at her and snorted like an astonished and indignant horse. <laughs> Good gosh, no! We don't usually propose at all. Why, Lige here is so girl-shy that hitherto-fore you couldn't drag him round where Calico was. But one look at you got him locoed. Letty shot a quick, surreptitious look at Lige, who flickered a whimsical smile at her, and nodded bashfully. His turn hadn't come to speak, then. Sourdough went on with his rehearsed oration. "'We'd like you to choose and put us out of our misery. Otherwise we can't be no manner of use for the spring-work, round-up and branding and such.' So they took it for granted that she must choose one of them. How funny! How deliciously amusing! I... she began, but Sourdough again cut her short. Here we are. His thumb gestured first at himself and then at his partner. Proud but poor. Either of us like a million wildcats to protect you. But you'll likely have to do your own washing for a spell if you marry either of us. But we don't aim to always be poor. Some day we can put diamonds on you and build you a fine house. That is, if it ever rains again in this God-forgotten country. Letty's face crinkled with laughter. It was impossible to take this seriously when Sourdough was so funny. But I— she began only to be interrupted again by sourdough he turned on lige ferociously now you spit out your little speech you dumb son of a gun you'd let me give myself the thumbs doing all the talking would you lige leaned forward in his chair and clasped his hands between his knees when he spoke there was a jocose tenderness in his voice and in his face Miss Letty, I reckon Sourdough has put it about right for both of us. You maybe couldn't see anything to cotton to in either of us rough fellows. But we sure do love you, and we'd do our darndest to make you happy. Her laughter bubbled over in confusion, and her eyes were bright as she said teasingly, You talk like you expected me to marry both of you at once. No, m'm, just one, he answered her gravely. If you just say which one, that one'll hit the ceiling, and the other one'll hit the grit. Two pairs of eyes gazed straight at her, expectantly, 
without a wink or a flicker of an eyelash, so intent were they. She pulled herself together to answer. They really were serious, then, and this wasn't one of Sourdough's jokes. But I'm sorry, but I don't love either one of you. Like that, she cried impetuously. No, questioned Lige softly, his unwavering gaze on hers. She shook her head. Not with the marrying kind of love. Sourdough kicked the leg of the stove to release his emotions. Gosh darn it! By Gatlings, I knew nothing so good as that could happen to one of my family. She tried earnestly to explain her position. You see, I like you both. Oh, lots! I couldn't choose between you, and I want you to keep on coming to see me. But I'm not in love with either one of you, and so of course I couldn't marry you. Sourdough gulped mournfully, his Adam's apple almost overcome with emotion. Just as you say, Miss Letty. I'm so sorry, she went on quickly. You've both been so good to me. I don't know how I could have got along without you, but I... Well, being in love is a different thing, isn't it? It sure is, agreed Sourdough. If you ain't never been in love, you don't know what it is to be living in a rainbow one minute and all grumped with gloom the next. Lige spoke up gently, considerate of her feelings rather than of his own, as usual. Kind, thoughtful Lige. Maybe we rushed you too much. Maybe if we'd waited a while you could learn to like one of us. His tone was hopeful, questioning. But she couldn't, of course, and so the kind and fair thing was to tell him so frankly, and let him think of someone else. No, I'm afraid not. I'm not thinking about marrying at all, not for years and years yet. Silence pulsed and throbbed in the little room. Through the open door of the stove the fire smiled and chuckled at these absurd young human beings, while outside the wind hooed at them, but except for that there was stillness for a time. Sourdough gave thought to Letty's statement for a few moments, mulling it over in his mind, and then he roused to protest. He brought his palms together with a whack. If you're not thinking of getting married, why? You're wrong, then. It's natural for girls to marry come your age. Not that you are all so fired all at that, he apologized hastily. She smiled to show that she held no grudge against him. He went on with emphasis. And it'd be pleasanter to have your own home, instead of washing dishes in some other woman's dump. Letty murmured, Yes. How true that was, how very true, but not in the pitiful little shack on the plains where either of those rough cowboys would take her. Romance wasn't dead in the world, and her knight would come riding up some day to rescue her. She would wait for him. She must wait. Sourdough's jaw set sternly. 
if you can't favour either of us we don't hold it against you fact is it only shows the sense you've got but you don't to marry she shook her head smilingly yes you'd ought to and all of these young fellers in the country'll be hitchin their horses at front of here soon now we better help you pick somebody else if you're certain sure you won't have us i don't want anybody she cut in excuse me but you do only you just don't know it yet he turned to lige now who you reckon she might come to like i don't know said lige shortly as if he did not relish the turn the discussion was taking how about ruth weaver no snapped lige he's crooked crooked as a dog's hind leg she mustn't think of him sta bueno then sourdough accepted the rebuff but did not relinquish his idea of providing for letty there's alec roundtree he's got a good ranch lige reared up in resentment he got it from his dad he'll never make anything of his own too lazy to grow fast even when he was a boy yeah you're right no get up and get to him sourdough nodded as in satisfaction at seeing no more possible rival put out of the way he hasn't got the sprawl of a louse letty smiled and smoothed her dress over her knees men were so funny like little boys but she didn't need to say anything now for she had not been invited to share this part of the confab sourdough reluctantly dragged forth another name from the pit of his acquaintance there's alf anderson he's thrifty and saving he got his own ranch without any help you said it he's so stingy he'd crawl under the fence to save wearing out the hinges by opening the gate sourdough snorted you don't seem to think much of your friends here in the county you're doing the picking they aren't my choice was the imperturbable answer you asked for my advice and i give it to you twant nothing to call forth no great amount of gratitude i'd say lige smiled in serene silence well all right then old hoss went on his partner how about jack newton he ain't crooked he ain't lazy nor yet so stingy lige sniffed contempt she'd as well marry a rag doll no spunk to him at all i could take a corn cob with a lightning bug on the end of it and chase him out to the country letty laughed bobbingly at the evoked picture she had danced with jack newton at the ball and she remembered him a tall and timorous young fellow who had stumbled over her feet and been in an agony of confusion over it she was glad they hadn't picked jack newton for her i believe you're picking out the ones you don't like she accused sourdough he blushed a brick red in guilt come to think of it i don't choose any of em as a husband for you neither when it comes to that ain't nary one of em worth the scrapings of your boot heel well then don't you think you might let the matter rest as it is for a while her tone was deceptively serious 
but her eyes were dancing and her dimples twinkled back and forth maybe some more young men will come to the country or maybe i didn't see them all that night maybe his tone was pessimistic lige spoke up as he straightened his tall form in his chair i don't know as i'm encouraging that kind of immigration to this section i'd rather build barbed wire fences to keep em out of this neck o the woods sourdough sighed dolorously well tell you what miss letty i think you better not say the yes to any fella till lige and me have give him the once over there's some curious cattle on the range here sometimes and you might not understand the brands she laughed and blushed and spread her palms out prettily before the blaze of the fire all right i'll ask advice from you too before i fall in love with anybody that's as much as we'd ought to expect now he said resignedly lige smiled his slow tranquil smile silence fell over the little group a curious pulsing silence that was companionable and yet self-conscious since the topic of main importance had been discussed and disposed of the two men seemed to have nothing further to say and letty was a bit afraid of starting an argument over anything just then at last she turned impulsively to lige i wish you'd tell me some more stories of the west like the ones you told me the day we drove from sweetwater his eyes lighted up with an inner satisfaction did they interest you i was just trying to make you forget the miles and the hours and the sand you seemed so little and pitiful like tell me a fairy story of the plains she said dreamily her half-closed eyes gazing at the flames well now we haven't got any fairy stories of the prairies that i know of perhaps we settlers came too late to catch up with the fairies or maybe we're too soon and had ought to sit round and wait a spell until they show up haven't you got a single fairy story her jesting tone rebuked and challenged him not one haven't you ever seen a fairy well i couldn't say as i've seen one but then again i wouldn't swear i haven't maybe i have seen one and didn't have gumption enough to know it thought it was a ball of thistle-down blowing in the wind or a flower in the years when we had rain and the spring prairies bloomed like a bouquet or an antelope fading out of sight or a ground squirrel so little and graceful darting away into the ground you know you make me think of a ground squirrel miss letty maybe us rough cow-punchers just ain't acquainted with fairies of course i take my hat off to one anywhere as i met it if i only knowed what it was she nodded at him imperiously tell me something pretty anyhow his face brightened as an idea came to him i can tell you a wild horse story he offered but with certain dubiousness of tone sourdough gave a whinnying laugh <laughs> she asks for a fairy and all he can give her is a wild horse i'll say that's a horse on me 
Letty laughed a little tinkle of a laugh that had not sounded out so gaily or so spontaneously since long before she left Virginia. <laughs> Tell me about it, she commanded. Lige cleared his throat self-consciously and moved his barge-like boots about on the floor as he sought words in which to begin. "'Well, you know there's a raft of wild horses on these western plains, all the way from Mexico to Canada, though not as many as there used to be.' "'Where do they come from?' she questioned. "'I didn't know horses were wild.' when the spanish settled texas long and long ago you know don't you that texas has been under six flags one of em spain's they brought arabian horses with em some of em got away and got lost and when the spanish left they stayed on that's how the wild horses got started in the west his eyes took on the far-seeing look that she had come to recognize in them when he was thinking. There were herds of them roaming the prairies when this section began to be settled up. Each herd had its leader, a stallion that could scent danger, that could find a way of escape for his herd when they were about to be cornered. The cowboys wanted good horses, you see, and every cowboy would like to have a horse better than the rest. So they all tried to catch the stallion leading the herd. It was a great sight in the old days, they tell me, to see these herds of wild horses go racing across the plains. Arabian stock, you know, that was beauties to look at and like the wind for speed. All over the west you can hear old cowmen tell about these wild horses. Many of them was caught, and they've got a lot of tales about them but they'll always tell you of a horse that nobody could catch. One that was too fast to be caught up with, too clever to be cornered, too game to be tired out. Her eyes were shining with interest as she listened. They say some of these stallions weren't just flesh and blood, weren't living horses, but something that did not die, he went on musingly spirits you might say they were maybe devils you'll often hear of a pacing white stallion that couldn't never be taken that laughed at your lasso they'll tell you of a big black horse that no man living could come near to you could see him racing over the prairies when dusk began to come going as fast as the wind you could see his mane floating back like a black banner you could hear him neighing, but no lariat was ever made that could capture him. Is he here about now? Letty asked, thrilled, but a bit fearful. Maybe. He hasn't been caught at any rate. If you see him, you can know him, because his hoofs are like fire, they say, and his mane and tail stream in the wind and he neighs at night as he goes like the norther when it sweeps over the plain. He gestured with free motions of his hands to show the stallion's speed and ease of motion. Letty listened, her head cocked to one side a little, in a way she had when she was deep in thought. The wind gave a whistling shriek outside, and she shivered as she imagined a demon steed, 
racing like a black shadow across the plain, a lonely, terrible figure neighing in the night. Sourdough spoke up. Some folks say he comes ahead of a storm, and maybe that's the reason they've thought they've seed him about here so much. Do you have storms often here? Letty trembled and leaned closer to the fire. She felt as if the black wing of a storm even then had come near to her. Sourdough was roused to his usual braggadocio. Gosh, yes! These winds come off on the cap rock so that this section is a sort of pocket for storms. Folks have cellars and dugouts to go to when cyclones come. She paled and shuddered. So it had been true, then, what Mr. Word Roddy had told her. I'll dream of cyclones and demon horses. Lige's big hands stretched themselves deprecatingly to her, as if to shield her from even a thought of harm. Show now, Miss Letty, we didn't go to scare you. We wouldn't scare you for the world. Nothing's going to hurt you so long as me and Sourdough has got our senses and our six-shooters. Why, we'd rope and bulldog old Nick hisself if he so much as batted an eye-winker to let on he was aiming to hurt you. I'm afraid of storms, she confessed. Then she hummed softly the old spiritual she had learned from her black mammy in Virginia. Lord, I don't want to die in a storm, in a storm. Lord, I don't want to die in a storm, in a storm. When the wind blows east and the wind blows west, Lord, I don't want to die in a storm. End of chapter 6